This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. One of the oldest branches of Gnosticism, arguably the oldest existing, is the sect that named themselves the Sethians. Sethians claim to be descended from Seth, the third from Adam, and their teaching was widespread throughout the Mediterranean. This Gnostic group was founded primarily in Jewish mysticism, but was strongly influenced by the philosophy of Plato. This group practiced mysticism through several Gnostic scrolls that had heavy influence from several pagan gods. Some of them included the Apocryphon of John, or the Secret Book of John, the Thought of Norea, the Trimorphic Pretonia, the Coptic Gospel of the Egyptians, the Gospel of Judas, Zoastrinos, the Three Steels of Seth, Marsanis, and Alleginis. But they also produced their own secret writing from the mystic teachings of Kabbalah and called it the Apocalypse of Adam, or the Revelation of Adam. This ancient scroll was also discovered in 1946, about the time that William Branham began to reestablish his ministry by adding an angelic vision to his commission, an angelic visit. Until 1945, Branham was producing pamphlets such as I Was Not Disobedient to the Heavenly Vision, describing a commission through a vision. But after 1946, an angelic visit is included in Branham's story. In this scroll, a 700-year-old Adam tells his third son, Seth, how he learned a word of knowledge of the eternal God and Eve. And he thought that he and Eve were indeed more powerful than their supposed creator. But that knowledge was lost in the fall when the sub-creator, the Demiurge, separated Adam and Eve. He says this, this is in the Apocalypse of Adam. Listen to my words, my son, Seth. When God created me out of the earth, along with Eve, your mother, I went about with her in a glory which she had seen in the aeon from which we came forth. She taught me a word of the the knowledge of the eternal God, and we resembled the great eternal angels. 
For we were higher than the God who cre had created us, and the powers with him whom we did not know. Irenaeus devotes an entire chapter to this Gnostic group called the Sethians. And a second chapter, immediately after this Gnostic group, was created by their influence. And this group was known as the Cainites. The, book, the first book ends with the Cainites, describing how damaging their heresy was to the early church. The teaching had taken such a stronghold that Irenaeus said it would fill another book to try to untangle their teaching that was woven throughout the other teachings in the Bible. The first book ends with these words, Wherefore I have labored to bring forward and to make clearly manifest the utterly ill-conditioned carcass of this miserable little fox. For there I will, not know, I will not need many words to overturn their system of doctrine when it has been made manifest to all. It is as when on a beast hiding itself in a wood and by rushing forth from it the habit of destroying multitudes. The one who beats around the wood and thoroughly explores it so as to compel the animal to break cover does not strive to capture it seeing that it is truly a ferocious beast. But when those present can watch and avoid its assaults, can cast darts at it from all sides and wound it and finally slay the destructive brute. So in our case, we have brought the little secret hidden mysteries which they keep in silence among themselves to the light. It will now, now not be necessary to use many words in destroying their system of opinions, for it is now in thy power, and in the power of all thy associates, to familiarize yourselves with what has been said to overthrow their wicked and undigested doctrines, and to set forth doctrines agreeable to the truth. Since the, since the case then is so, shall I, according to the promise and my ability serves, labor to overthrow them by refuting them, all in the following book, even to give an account of them, which is a tedious affair, as thou seest. But I shall furnish means by overthrowing them, by meeting all their opinions in the order which they have been described, that I may not only expose the wild beast to, to view, but may inflict wounds upon it from every side. That's Irenaeus in Against Heresies. Under the Gnostic teaching of the Sethians, the early church was infected by the teaching that God created spirit bodies, and that Adam and Eve roamed about without form. By stressing the words written in Genesis, let us make man in our own image, Sethians began to teach that this image was spirit, because God is a spirit. Many of you that have been influenced with the teaching of William Branham will be familiar with this doctrine, though it comes under several different names and examples. Branham resurrected the Gnostic teaching, claiming that there was a period of time when Adam and Eve were spirit gods roaming the earth. This claim was reestablished in Branham's attempt to promote prophets to gods. 1949, The Deity of Christ is the sermon title, he says, and God in the beginning made first man. He made him out of spirit. And the spirit is the invisible part of the man that you don't see. Now God made man in his own image. Later in 1960, 
he talks about the subject again. This is a sermon entitled, God's Provided Way of Worship. He says, Oh, I can just see Adam and Eve going down through the garden, and the winds blowing, and Eve, the little bride, saying, Oh, Adam, the wind is so strong. He'd say, Peace. See, this man actually made to be a god. Do you know that? The Bible said, this is William Branham saying this, the Bible said, Jesus said, if they called them who the word came to me, which was the prophets, if they were gods, how can you condemn me when you say I'm the son of God? And then Branham says this, the prophets were considered gods. Man was made a lesser god and given a domain on earth. That's the reason that the world today is groaning, waiting for the full manifestations of the sons of God. But the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ under this teaching is changed directly from the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. Using the teaching from Kabbalah, Sethians introduced the idea that the original sin was sex, as well as the idea that a union of forces of good against a union that formed the forces of evil. They taught that Christ was a result of the God of lights, mating with the mother of all living while in her spirit form. And against heresies, Irenaeus writes this, The father and son thus both had intercourse with the woman, whom also they call the mother of all living. When she, however, could not bear nor receive herself into the greatness of the lights, they declare that she was filled to repletion and became ebullient on the left side. And thus only their son, Christ, as belonging to the right side, ever tended what was higher, what was immediately caught up from his mother to form an incorruptible aeon. But while producing the spirit form of Christ, Sethians taught that there was another union that produced a physical bloodline of evil. This doctrine, which Irenaeus names a system of falsehood, was tied to astrology and worship of the stars. Just as the Valentinians worshipped a seven-god seven Ogdode, the Sethians included seven persons in this system. Irenaeus writes, they have given names to the several persons in their system of falsehood, such as the following. He who is the first descendant of the mother is called Ialdaboth. He again descended from him who is named Io. He from his one called Saboth. The fourth is Adonis. The fifth, Elias. The sixth, Orius. The seventh and last of all, Astonphius. Moreover, they represent these heavens, potentates, powers, angels, and creators as sitting in their proper order in heaven, according to their generation and invisibly ruling over the celestial and the terrestrial. The first of them, na namely Ialdaboth, holds his mother in contempt, insomuch as he produced sons and grandsons without the permission of anyone, even angels, archangels, potentates, and dominions. That's against heresies. The union that produced evil under this teaching of Jewish mysticism was between Ialdaboth, the serpent, and Eve after she took form of human flesh. While Christ was believed to be the union of the light God and the spirit Eve, 
Cain was believed to be the result of a sexual union between Eve and the serpent. To accomplish this, Ialdabaoth was a spirit himself, and he must lessen himself from the place in the heavens to form a flesh and blood serpent. At this point, now presenting himself to the physical form of Eve, Ialdabaoth proclaimed himself to be God. And against heresies, Irenaeus writes, On this account, Ialdabaoth, being uplifted in spirit, boasted himself over all things that were below him, and exclaimed, I am Father and God, and above me there is no one. But his mother, hearing him speak, thus cried out against him, Do not lie, Ialdabaoth. For the father of all, the first Athropos, man, is above thee. So is Athropos, the son of Anthropos. And against heresies. Interestingly, while Aldeboth proclaimed himself to be the creator to Eve, William Branham proclaimed the same to his following. In Marriage and Divorce, 1965, Branham says, But in the human race, it's the woman that's pretty, not the man. If he is, there's something wrong. There's some crossed-up seed somewhere. Originally, it's that way. Why was it done? To deceive her. Her designer, Satan, is still working on her, too, in these last days. After this union, according to the Apocalypse of Adam, was to be, Seth was to be the keeper of the secret down through all the ages, Seth was to be the only one who knew about the adultery of his mother to Ialdabaoth. In the Apocalypse of Adam, supposedly Adam writes, For this reason I, have, I myself have called you by the name of that man who is the seed of the great generation, or from whom it comes. After those days the eternal knowledge of God of truth withdrew from me and your mother Eve. Since that time we have learned about dead things like men. We recognize that God, who had created us, for we were not strangers to his powers, and we served him in fear and in slavery. And after these things, we became darkened in our hearts. While this teaching alters both the original creation story and the eternal nature of Christ, it also paves the way for followers of the Sethian sect to ignore solid doctrine and scriptural truth. You see, when Sophia, the spirit of wisdom, fell to, from the other seven gods, Sophia was the, behind the evil scheme that supposedly produced Cain. And against heresies, Irenaeus writes, But their mother, Sophia, cunningly devised a scheme to seduce Eve and Adam by means of the serpent to transgress the command of Ialdabaoth. Eve listened to this as if it had proceeded from a son of God and yielded an easy belief. Under Branham's teaching, wisdom and knowledge is also considered to be evil. And the idea is promoted that understanding of Scripture comes only to the prophets. As part of this religious worship, followers are trained in submission, letting the pastors and the prophet be the key that unlocks the secret mysteries of the Bible. But just as the Sethians taught that Eve had a secret desire for wisdom, and that the wisdom of Sophia was behind the adultery of Eve, Branham taught the same. Only he took things to the present day and age, comparing knowledge to sex, and claiming that the church is what leads men astray. 
All churches, of course, except his own. 1965 in Satan's Eden, Branham says this, Satan did it by the woman's lust for knowledge, comma, for sex, which she chose by her own choosing. Now notice, it was Eve that led Adam in the wrong, and it was the woman that took off her clothes before Adam took off his. See? It was the woman always. I thought they were both naked, but he continues to say, it's always been. It is still the same way. It's the church that leads man astray. It's the church, see, that leads the man of the wanted to be a son of God. It's the woman, the church, not the Bible, for the Bible is man. Oh, yeah, the word was made flesh, and he was a man, see? The woman, the Bible is a man, the church is a woman, see? It isn't the church. It isn't the Bible that leads man astray. It's the church that leads him astray. It's the church that he went naked with, not the Bible. See? No, indeed. The Bible tells him he's naked. Yes, sir. Now notice how by sex, by desire of sex, she lusted for knowledge, to know what this was and how whether the fruit was good or not. And she did it. <laughs> That's Satan's Eden. The sexual union caused the evil forces to rejoice because they had created a form that was equal to Christ, the yin and the yang. And against heresies, Irenaeus writes, when Procunus perceived that the powers were thus baffled by their own creature, she greatly rejoiced and cried out, since the father was incorruptible, he, Ieldeboth, who, who formerly called himself the father, was a liar. And that while Athropos and the first woman, the spirit, existed previously, this one, Eve, sinned by committing adultery. That's against heresies, Irenaeus. It should be no surprise that Branham also taught the yin-yang version of God and Satan. In that same sermon, Marriage and Divorce, he says, Did you know that Satan was co-equal with God one day? Sure was. He was all but a creator. He was everything. He stood at the right hand of God in the heavens, the great leading cherubim. 1955, he was also proclaiming this. He says, at that time, Michael shall stand, the great prince. Michael was Christ, of course, who fought the angelic wars in heaven with the devil. Satan and Michael fought together, or fought against each other, rather. That's 1955, the beginning and ending of the Gentile dispensation. The Cainites took this a step further. Under their belief system, Judas was the one who held the secret mystery of truth, and they produced the Gnostic scroll known as the Book of Judas, which has recently been pieced together in fragment. And against heresies, Irenaeus writes about this book. Others, again, declare Cain derived from his being from the power above and acknowledge that Esau, Korah, the Sodomites, and all persons are related to themselves. On this account, they add, they have been assailed by the Creator, yet not, no one of them has suffered injury, for Sophia was in the habit of carrying off that which belonged to her and fr from them to herself. They declare that Judas, the traitor, was thoroughly acquainted with these things, 
and that he alone, knowing the truth as no others did, accomplished the mystery of the betrayal. By him all things, both earthly and heavenly, were thus thrown into confusion. They produce a fictitious history of this kind, which they style the Gospel of Judas. Interestingly, the God that they worshipped was believed to be one of the angels and compounded works on top of the gospel of Jesus Christ. While the Bible teaches that the work that Christ did on Calvary was once for all and that salvation is freely given by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Cainites believe that you must first have an experience. Like the Pentecostal movement that influenced several churches into falsely believing that you must have evidence of the Holy Spirit. The Cainites taught that you cannot be saved until you have had such an experience. And against heresies, Irenaeus writes, Moreover, they call this hystera, creator of heaven and earth. They also hold that carpocatries, that men cannot be saved until they have gone through all kinds of experience. An angel, they maintain, attends them in every one of their sinful and abominable actions and urges them to venture on audacity and incur pollution. Whatever be the nature of action, they declare that they do it in the name of the angel, saying, O thou angel, I use thy work. O thou power, I accomplish to thy operation. And they maintain that this is a perfect knowledge without shrinking to rush into such actions as it is not lawful even to name. It sounds very similar when you consider William Branham prayed to his angel. This Kabbalistic teaching of the sexual union between Ialdabaoth and Eve and the spiritual union that between the God of light and spirit Eve that frustrated Irenaeus the roots of this doctrine run so deeply woven through the Bible that it's very difficult to untangle, even still today. While seemingly harmless, any single branch of this teaching that is ran out to conclusion ends in false teaching. Irenaeus explains that to believe the Sethians and the Cainites was to destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ itself. The very fabric of the Bible was being recreated simply by changing the creation story. And it was a heresy that required a full second book to try and untangle. It was a heresy so strongly rooted in the early church that Irenaeus deemed it necessary to combat because it had recent origin. This doctrine was not a teaching that was established in the Law of Moses, nor in the Gospels or the Apostolic Letters. Kabbalistic men expounded upon these words and phrases in the Bible to produce this mystery given by Adam to Seth. And Irenaeus called it a miserable and baseless fable. He said it was necessary to clearly prove, this is Irenaeus, it, is, it was necessary to clearly prove that as their very opinions and regulations exhibit them, those who are of this school of Valentinus derived from their origin from such mothers, fathers, and ancestors, and also brought forward their doctrines 
with the hope that perchance some of them, exercising repentance and returning to the only Creator, the God of the former universe, may obtain salvation, and that others may not henceforth be drowned away by their wicked, although plausible persuasions, imagining that they will obtain from them the knowledge of some greater and more sublime mysteries. But let them rather, learning good effect from the wicked tenets of these men, look with contempt upon their doctrines, while at the same time they pity those who are still cleaving to these miserable and baseless fables, have reached such a pitch of arrogance as to reckon themselves superior to all others on account of such knowledge, or as it should rather be called, ignorance. They have now been fully exposed, and, to, and simply to exhibit their sediments is to obtain a victory over them. That's Irenaeus against heresies. In the precursor to the second book, Irenaeus gives us tools to combat this doctrine of serpent seed. While he felt it necessary to compile a second book to conquer the beast, Irenaeus tells him that everything that we need to, to know is exposed in his writings. He has taken every form of false god that created Gnostic influence and exposed them in his writings. Again, he said, so in our case we have brought their hidden mysteries, which they keep in silence among themselves, to light. It will not now be necessary to use many words in destroying their system of opinions. For it is now in thy power, and in thy power of all thy associates, to familiarize yourselves with what has been said, to overthrow their wicked and undigested doctrines, to set forth doctrines agreeable to the truth. If you have been programmed with this Kabbalistic teaching of the Sethians and the Cainites, there's only one thing that you need to know. Genesis 3.6 says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he Eight. There is no sexual innuendo in the Bible. Moses did not write the books of the Bible with a perverted mind, and he did not write the book of Genesis in parables. The tree was good for food. This word food is used in Hebrews to describe a substance that is made for intake, to be eaten. Jeremiah uses the word, the people will be food for the birds. Ezekiel, and their fruit will be for food. And the word used when Adam describes eating was indeed to eat, to consume, the same word that is used all throughout the Bible. Judges 6.21, up from the rock and consumed the meat. Ruth 2.14, her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied. 2 Samuel 12.21, you arose and ate food. 1 Kings 13.22, but have returned and eaten bread. Today's language lends itself to seeing sex in many words, simply because of the shock value of sex in our world of proper etiquette. 
But the ancient world, and especially the Bible, is written plainly without having to hide what we consider to be dirty words or R-rated behavior. The law of Moses calls black, black, and white, white. There's only one verse that you must know to combat this subject that came from Gnosticism. And it comes from Acts 17.26. And hath of one blood, one blood made all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitations. 